thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Those videos are very dangerous. A lot of family secrets tend to leak out. For all you kids, good job. Um, And for all you dads, good job. Um, I praise God for dads in our lives, right? Um, Not just the biological dads we have, but the the men in our lives who speak into us, that look after us, that correct us, that encourage us, that give us a word in the moment we need. Or maybe they just teach us how to do something we don't know how to do. There's a line I read in a book a long time ago. It says, everything that a a man needs to know, a boy needs to learn. Right? So everything a man's got to know, whether it's tying his shoes or knowing how to work or knowing how to read the Bible or knowing how to pray, everything a, a man needs to know, a boy needs to learn. And generally speaking, there's a man in his life that teaches him that. And if you see people, young boys or young men in your life that lack those things, be a dad to them, right? Why not? Just teach them how to do stuff. Teach them how to, the skills they need in life. Um, Take it upon ourselves because it's not just the biological dads in our life. It's the men in our lives that really help us, that speak into our lives. And ultimately, it's our Heavenly Father that fills in all the gaps, right? Our Heavenly Father and YouTube, because YouTube teaches us how to fix anything now. Anyways, good job. Let's pray, and then I've got a very ridiculous Father's Day message for us today. Buckle your seatbelts. Father God, we thank you. We love you because you are a great Heavenly Father. And uh, for those of us who are dads, you teach us. Uh, The only good fatherhood in us is the stuff that comes from you. And so we're grateful. And uh, while it's nice to be celebrated and and pat it on the back and given cards or maybe an occasional gift. Lord, we're, we're wrong to take too much credit because we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And this gift of fatherhood and what it means to be a dad, it means to be a, a man of God in this world. Lord, we learn from you. And so today as we go through your word, Lord, go through us. Speak to us. Men, dads, women, children, all of us. That God, we might have a heart like yours. That we might live a life like yours. And that we might give ourselves a way to see others uh, blessed and prospering. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, I, I started thinking and praying about um, Father's Day message. And um, I, I can't believe what the Lord gave me. So today's message is going to be about the first family, the first father. Today's Father's Day message is going to be about Cain and Abel. Right? Yeah. Real happy subject. And so, but I feel like God has really shown me something very encouraging and very profoundly wonderful for us fathers in particular and for all of us together. And so turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is the first chapter that begins after sin enters the world. And so Genesis chapter 3 we see Adam and Eve disobeying God's word. And when we disobey God's word, sin consequences come in. And so 
here Adam and Eve in their marital perfection, right? Naked and unashamed in perfect relationship with God, in great, amazing relationship with each other. They decide together to disobey God, the first act of sin. And that really is the simple definition of sin. Anything, any disobedience to God and his word is sin. And so you can apply that to yourself at any level, kind of a quiet, personal, private level, kind of a more of a a public action level, an attitude level. Anytime our desires or our thoughts or our actions or any part of us vary from God's way of living and doing things, it's called sin. And so this first couple, this first perfect, amazing marriage experiences the consequences of their disobedience. And so Adam and Eve went from utopia to recognizing, and as I understand it, the the, the perfect dignity of being made in the image of God and and the perfect unity of of being connected with each other and, and the perfect blessing of God. All that changes when sin comes into the world. And suddenly dignity, right, goes to shame. They're no longer open. They begin to hide. And, and the, the unity they shared turns into blame. They start blaming each other. And suddenly it's not his fault. It's not her fault. It's the serpent. It's God. It's the woman you gave me. And this marriage begins to feel it. And then also the, the perfect blessing and the gift of life that was given to them turns into pain. That men, when they work, it hurts. Women, when they give birth, it hurts even a little more. And so this marriage experiences the consequences of sin. And still, even though they sinned against God, God didn't give up on them. God says, you know what, I still love you. We're going to change the terms. You're out of the Garden of Eden, and you have to have the consequences of sin, but I'm still for you. And you still have purpose. You still have meaning. Your life is still meant to glorify God and be blessed. It's amazing to me that that first couple, even though they so profoundly turned against God, God didn't just destroy them and crush them. God protects them from their sin. God sets them in a course, and he still wants them to continue. That's true for you. If you're here today, and you know you've sinned, you know that you have, like, varied from God's way, and you've taken a different way, and maybe even you've experienced some consequences like that, God today says, I don't give up on you. Nor did I give up on Adam or Eve. In fact, I still... I still helped them, and I saw them through in the commission that I gave them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to have children, and to, to find each other again in unity, and to find the dignity it means being made in the image of God. I, God says, I still want that for you, even today. Isn't that great news? But as Adam and Eve begin to proceed with God's purpose in their life, sin is now their companion, and they can't escape it. And we'll see this in the first family. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. I said that. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 to start with. It said this, Adam made love to his wife Eve. I love how the Bible puts that. Adam didn't just have sex with his wife. It wasn't enough for Adam just to have sex with Eve. But they experienced the intimacy of their love and their covenant and their commitment to one another through sex. 
It's so different than what we see and hear all over the place. That this intimacy, this ultimate physical intimacy is an expression of a love commitment. <clears throat> I realize that, that a lot of times we feel love is like our feelings. We fall in love, we fall out of love, and all these love feelings. Love is nothing of the sort. Love is a commitment. It's a decision. It's a foundation that we, we set upon. And then what we do is we, we pull good feelings around love. But love itself is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. It's a decision to be together no matter what. If you were married and stood at a church and made vows, you said for better or for worse. That's what love is. And here is Adam and Eve having already experienced some of the most devastating things they'll experience in their life, sin entering, and the, the, the difficulty in their marriage. And still here is Adam loving his wife. I think that's a great little moment there. And he, he, he expresses that love sexually. And as a product of that sexually expressed love, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord... I have brought forth a man. It's really amazing, guys, because here, like I said earlier, they'd sinned, they've been set outside of the garden, they're experiencing consequences of sin, and still, God is helping them. Eve, Eve knew, she says, you know what? With the help of God, who has not given up on me, he's given me a child. Understand, there had never been a child born yet. This was the first child born. Can you imagine what that had been like? Adam and Eve would have had no concept. All they do is they express their, their commitment to one another in sexual love, and then nine months later, she swells and explodes with a person. I mean, presumably, Adam would have delivered that baby, right? Guys, could you imagine? Adam's like, I've never seen this happen before. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just going to stand here and, whoa! I have a son! A son! I mean, it's amazing. Not only the profound wonder of, of the, the blessing. When, when God blessed Adam and Eve, part of the blessing was, you are going to be a creator just like me. You see, God wants us to be like him. That we would reflect his image in every way. That means our character. That means our, our purity and holiness. That means the way we conduct ourselves with one another. But it also means that we wanna, he wants us to do and participate in the things that God's doing. And so just as God creates out of the dust this human being, he gives us the profound privilege to create life. Oh. I mean, the privilege that we have to create life. Yeah. Some of you are getting excited about creating life right now. Good for you. We need more babies. Let's have more babies. Let's be like God and make things. Let's make humans. It's okay. I know you think you can't afford it and you don't have enough whatever room in your house, but God will provide. Some of you just heard from the Lord right now. You're there. With the help of the Lord. You know, Cain was also a promise because when sin entered the world, when suddenly God confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent on their disobedience, God brings, he brings to them the consequence. And to the woman, he says, you'll have pain in childbirth and you'll also try to control your husband. That's part of the curse. Ladies, that's a curse. You think he's incompetent and you're justified. No, that's part of the curse. So it's not his fault he can't remember anything. Men, you're going to toil through 
your labor through thorns and thistles and the sweat of your brow. And to the serpent, he said this. I will put enmity, I will put hostility between you, Satan, and the son, a child of the woman. And that child will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. Right? And so Adam and Eve, in the midst of all that's happened and all of their loss, God gives them this amazing sense of hope that, you know what? Somehow, through the birth of a child to the woman, the serpent, Satan himself, the deceiver, will be crushed and will be free of the sin. So you can imagine when this little baby pops out, boom, you're like, whoa, Cain, is he the one? Is he the child? Is he the, the, the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent? I guess every parent, when a child is born, looks at their baby with great hope and anticipation that they will do something wonderful with their life, right? That they will somehow prosper. They will exceed and go beyond us. And no doubt, this first couple, when this first child was born, had great hopes for their son. Let's continue reading. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. We're seeing the effects of the sin of the fall, consequences of disobeying God's word, and where Adam and Eve began to blame each other, so Cain and Abel begin to resent each other. And the sin that was birthed, even in small form, begins to grow. And you'll see as you read the Bible, even the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that that seed of sin it begins and it grows and it gets way out of control and starts destroying everything. This is the nature of sin. It's like a Goliath. He's big and he's angry and he's vulgar and he keeps walking towards you. You can't contain sin. You can't just keep it. Eventually it finds its way out and it wrecks stuff. So too in this family, Cain is very angry. Then the Lord, the Lord, the Lord never leaves them in their sin. He never leaves them in their dysfunction. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you'll not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, to possess you, to control you. Sin desires that but you must rule over it. Understand something here. This is before Christ and the gospel and all the good news, and yet there at this crossroad of sin and righteousness where Cain himself has to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to foster my anger? Am I going to express my anger? Am I going to let, let go to sin? Or, or am I going to lord, my, lord over it? Am I going to put down sin? Am I going to push away sin and choose a different path? Even in that moment, the Lord is right there with him, explaining it to him. Cain, look, don't do it, man. There's a better way. And the Lord is right there at his side in conversation to what? To help Cain. It's a picture of our, our 
what the Lord is like to us. He is always there to help. Even at that disgusting crossroad of sin, when you're sitting there deciding, what do I do? Do I indulge my emotions, my anger, my flesh, my sexuality? Do I indulge it and go with what feels right? Or do I receive the Lord's help and find a different way? Well, sadly, Cain did not receive the Lord's help. Now, Cain, verse 8, said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field, premeditated. Let me get you out somewhere away from mom and dad. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Where's your brother Abel? And Cain, in the continuation of his sin and denial, and he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Isn't it something that when the Lord confronts you on sin, it's like somehow we try to justify it or (laughs) swish it away as if the Lord doesn't know through and through all that's happened? Have you ever played out that ridiculous game of thinking God doesn't already know everything? He knows. And the amazing thing about the Lord is he always, his question is an offer. When the Lord says, where's your brother? He's not looking for information. He's looking for a soft, tender heart that will return. He's looking for repentance. He's looking for you to come back. Cain didn't come back. Whether Cain knew God knew or thought he could fool God and say, my, my brother's keeper is not my problem. God presses forth and he says, listen, your, bro- your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and you are driven from the ground. He, Cain grew things and yet now the ground wouldn't grow stuff for him. Which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, you'll no longer yield its crop for you. And you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. There's much to say, I guess, about Cain and Abel. Abel's offering was acceptable to God. Abel gave his best. Cain's offering was not acceptable to the Lord. Cain did not give his best to him. And you might want to think about whether your life is an offering before the Lord. You give the Lord your best or you give the Lord less than your best. And I think that matters. But that's not where I want to go today. Let's go back to Adam, the first father. Having failed to protect and lead his wife out of sin, having agreed with his wife to enter into sin, and now to see his sons, one to commit murder and the other to be banished in endless wandering. Any father who's ever felt any sense of failure can relate to Adam. I don't even know what he's talking to him about. But Eve has always wanted to control him and blame him. And so Eve's coming at Adam. Adam's conscience is coming at him. Adam. Adam must be decimated. Here is this great, incredible creature made by the very hand of God. who God's breath was blown into his chest and he became a living man. It says in the image of likeness he was, of God he was made. That he was above all the other animals and all of creation. And that this man 
and his wife to come, but then his wife were to rule over creation. And look what he's made. It's pretty brutal. When I think about the mistakes I've made, I can relate. Now, I, I, I don't have two sons that have done these things, but I see my failures. I see my own sin trickling into my children, and I would do anything in the world to stop it, right? I would do anything in the world. How many people have said to their kids, do as I say, not as I do, right? I know what to do. I just don't do what to do, right? How many people have looked at their kids and said, oh, don't make the same mistakes I made? How many of you have, have seen your kids and with like tears in your heart, watch them fall down in sinful areas that you as a parent feel like you should tell them not to do and yet you're so conflicted because you know that you've done the very same things. Being a, a father is one of the, next to being a husband, is one of the most profound and wonderful privileges of my life. I, I, I can't believe that the Lord has entrusted me with my three little kids. I call them little, only sentimentally. It's one of the great privileges God gives us. And yet we take this precious thing, and somehow we can't prevent the sin from our own lives seeping into them. And I want to bring some adjustment to the way we think of those things. Because the Lord wouldn't have us live in guilt. He's not called us to be slaves. He's called us ourselves to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. He doesn't want us to live in that condemnation, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what do we do, dads, with the feelings of our own failure? Can we relate to the first father's failures? I think we can. The first thing I want you to see is this. That God always brings hope and promise to the family. Hope and promise. First of all, there's this. 1 Corinthians 15, 11. It says this. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. And so here's the thing we have to understand. If we're a father or a mother or any person, you can apply it across the board. If you're a father who's fathering in Adam, guess what? Your children will die. Because you're passing on Adam to your kids, and there's no way that you can stop any of the consequences of sin. Because all who are in Adam, and that's everyone who is born, will die. I, in, in the midst of King David's own Sin and colossal failure as a husband and as a father in verses 51 or 5 of chapter 51 of the Psalms. It says this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Listen, parents often feel responsible for the sins and failures of their children. I don't know if there's any way to get around that. But I think parents also have to understand this. That the problem of sin in your child is the problem of sin in humanity. It passed through you, but there was nothing you could do to stop your child from being born into sin. 
We, were, we're, we are powerless on our own to save our children from sin. I mean, you look at the situation with Cain, and, and sure, Adam must have been like, oh my goodness, where's Abel? Abel's dead. What's going on with Cain? I should have talked to Cain when he was angry. I should have done something. There was something I should have done or shouldn't have done. And Eve is making a list. Oh, of the horrible parental things. If I'd have only done this, and if I'd only done that, I would have saved Abel, and Cain wouldn't turn out like he did. Every parent would think that, right? They would blame themselves. But at the moment of Cain's decision of sin, it wasn't Adam sitting next to Cain. It was God himself who spoke to Cain. And the Lord pleads with Cain, listen, if you do what's right, you will not be condemned. Cain, I implore you, come and do what's right. Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Sin desires to have you, to consume you. But listen, you must not let it rise above. Come on, I will help you. Now, listen, if you're a good, good father, if you're a good, 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 if you're a great father, and you give your very best advice to your son or to your daughter, and you give everything you have financially and emotionally and everything you can, it does not guarantee that your children will make the right decisions. If God himself imploring Cain to choose life, not death, does not change Cain's decision. You think Adam could have changed his mind? You think Adam could have restrained Cain? You think Adam could have brought peace between his sons? I don't think he could have. This is the power of sin. Massively destructive. So, what can parents do? Fathers, what can you do to protect your sons and your daughters? The answer is this. The best we can do is not to defeat the sin in their hearts because we can't. The best we can do is to teach them how to conquer sin in their lives. And there is a way. There is a way. The gospel says that we're no longer slaves to sin. That sin no longer has dominion over us. Well, if that's the case, how is it that we can rise up in victory over sin? I'm glad you asked. The gospel is clear. Before we, before we read the New Testament, I want to show you even something in the story of Cain and Abel. If you look at verses 25 and 26 of chapter 4. The verses right before verse 25, they tell about the story of Cain's family. And it gives you seven generations of Cain's descendants. So Cain is put out, restless wanderer. God puts some sort of mark on him. We don't know what it is. We just know it's visible. So when people, whoever the people are, see it, they won't kill him. And so Cain ends up marrying and having children and children and children. By the seventh generation of Cain's descendants, there's this guy called Lamech. Lamech, he is highlighted in the lineage of Cain in verse 23. He says to his wives, he's the first one recorded in Scripture as having two wives. 
Having two wives is both sinful and foolish because one wife is more than enough. Preach? Can I get a witness? Two wives is both sinful. It's not God's way of building love and covenant and faithfulness. And it's also foolish because some of you guys have trouble with just one. But he steps out. He just says, I'm taking women to myself, my two wives. And he's bragging to his two wives that some person had wounded him or punched him or, or wronged him. And so what he did in response to that was to kill him. And so this unchecked violence and sin has escalated in the line of Cain. And so Adam and Eve, not only is their first son a wanderer, but he's raising a family of hoodlums and murderers. Grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren are bragging about their violence. And in the, midst, in the midst of all of this, we see in verse 25, let's read it together. And Adam made love to his wife again. I just love Adam. I give him a lot of credit. He's been through a lot. He's had a lot of hard things, but he continues to love his wife. He's not just having sex with her. He's expressing his commitment to her through sexual activity. That's, that's love. He made love to her. Again, and she gave birth to a son, and they named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain has killed him. Seth also had a son, and his name was Enosh. At that time, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And so, in the same sentence of of them saying, look, we have another son. God has given us another son. His name is Seth to take the place of Cain. The pain and the suffering of Cain didn't leave that family. Even the good new things that happened in that family were still lined up next to the pain and the suffering of what they've gone through. They didn't just forget it. They didn't whitewash the trouble. But they says, you know what? The Lord continues, continues to do good to our lives. Even in the midst of all that's happened, look, he's given us another son, and his name is Seth. And Seth becomes this lineage. It says, this is the place where we'll begin to seek the Lord. You see, where Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, there was no mention of seeking the Lord. They're just living in the consequences of sin. But there, when the Lord once again gives them another chance to fulfill their purpose in life, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have children, to have joy in the family, to have fullness in the family, They've learned this as, you know what? This time around, we're going to seek the Lord. We're not going to have any more kids without seeking the Lord for them, without seeking the Lord for us. This was the moment, this was the time when they said, we are going to continue to seek the Lord. And Seth becomes part of the lineage that gives birth to a nation, that gives birth to a king, who is the picture of the ultimate king of kings, who will be Jesus Christ. In the worst of situations, even in the first family, God makes a way. God makes a way. And Adam and Eve learn. This is, you know what, in the midst of the sin that we struggle with and battle with, let's seek the Lord. And God will bring hope. And God will be faithful to his promise. You know, in the midst of any difficulty you might be having or consequences of sin in your parenting, God still desires to be faithful to his promise to you. To never leave, never forsake. To raise you up as a man of courage. A woman of prayer. A woman of 
just beautiful complimenting and, and loving your husband, not lording it over him? That you're, you're, men, you're called to, to rule and to, to give shelter to your family, not to create chaos and throw eggshells down so everyone's got to walk on them. God is faithful to his promise that you would be exactly who he's called you to be, even after you're Cain and Abel, even after your Adam and Eve marriage problems. God is faithful to that promise, and he gives you hope today. You need to live in that hope. Let's, let's see how the New Testament talks about it, then we'll finish. The third point is this. Not only does God give hope and promise to that first family, he gives hope and promise to every family. In um, Romans chapter 5, it says this. For if by the trespass of that one man, Adam, Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So, here it is. If you father, you parent in Adam, what do you bring? Death. According to Romans 5, 17. Through the one man comes death. But if you father or live in Jesus Christ, what do you bring? You reign in life. Death, reign in life. And Paul is going to continue the contrast. Verse 18. Consequently, as the one trespass resulted in what? Condemnation. For all people. So the one righteous act of Jesus resulted in justification and life for all people. Verse 19, another contrast. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made what? Sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Let me just line up those three verses. There's three contrasts. It says, in Adam, there is death, condemnation, and you're a sinner. That's what we get in the natural. If you are outside of Christ, what you have to give is death, condemnation, and the identity of a sinner. It's not very nice. That's what the first family discovered. That's what we discover in our own lives. And if you're in Christ, however, it says you will reign in life, you will be justified and you will be made righteous. I find that life so much more appealing. And it's such a simple bottom line thing that if we live and if we father and if we mother and if we whatever, brother and sister, in Christ, God will bring justification and life and reigning over sin and righteousness. You know, I thought when I was, I was all about having kids. I, I was very excited about it. Um, and I, I couldn't wait to be a dad. And I, there were, there was, I was a good Christian guy. So I, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I know. I've got to be a good Christian dad. But somehow in my heart, I thought, I'm just going to be good at this naturally. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I did kids. I like kids. I like teaching things. I like Legos. I thought, I'm good. I'm going to be fine. But man, it doesn't take long for any of us dads to realize, no matter how much we want to be a dad, no matter how good we think we'll be, that if we do it in Adam, in our own abilities, 
the sin and the condemnation and the death seep in quickly. Because you know what? Raising children, it's not about personality or your abilities. It's not about anything. It's about teaching these young creatures to live right. And the only way that teaches us how to live right is by knowing Jesus and following Jesus ourselves. And so dads today, I just want to give that to you. Don't father in Adam. You say, well, I would never do that. Adam is deaf. No, you will do that. It'll slide in. It'll creep in. You'll do everything as you think. And you'll tend not to be a man of the word. You'll tend not to model character, humility, repentance. You'll tend to justify yourself. You'll tend to go on and act like providing a paycheck is enough. It's not. It's necessary, but it's not enough. And so for us dads, there's such hope in this. Because if I, as a father, am in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that God has given me all I need for life, for righteousness. And that as he works that in me, he'll work it through me into my children, into my wife. And then, by the glory of God, I'll see what's worked in my children pour into my life. And what's worked in my wife pour into my life. It's not just, I'm at the top. I'm not. I'm a monk. But the role I play, I want to play in Christ. Katie's going to sing a beautiful song. It's an invitation. It's a song of invitation to taste and to see and to come to God. I just want to encourage you. You can sit. You can stand. You can respond however you want to her. But my invitation is this. As you see the life of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, as you see God's never-ending pursuit and faithfulness of that first family, that you recognize that God's never-ending love and pursuit for you today is the same. But I want to ask you to put off Adam, to say, I don't want to do it in my own strength. I don't want to be the guy who just does his best. I want to do it in Christ. I want to live my life for Jesus in such a way as it pours through me into my family. And I am not talking about some hyper-spirituality. I know a lot of very spiritual dads that do a lousy job. shouldn't say a lot. There are theoretically spiritual dads. It doesn't mean just being very religious. It means knowing Christ. It means loving Christ genuinely. In your home, you'll see the grace of God. And God will give you a Seth. And God will do more than you asked or imagined. Amen? So welcome, Katie, as she comes to sing. And my invitation... Respond to it.